Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Conflict is, is inevitable. In fact, I do a lot of premarital counseling and I won't even... I don't even marry you unless you have a good fight. Like, I mean, right in front of me. I need to know that you know how to fight because here's the key. In marriage, there is gonna be a fight. There is. But you get to choose whether or not you're fighting in your marriage or whether you're fighting for your marriage. It's a big difference. Conflict is unavoidable, but you get to choose whether you're fighting in your marriage, you're fighting against each other, or whether you're fighting for your marriage. It's easy to fight in your marriage. In fact, if you want to fight in your marriage, here's all you have to do. Focus on the imperfections of your spouse. Yeah, don't say amen to that. I'm just saying, like, if you want to fight in marriage, that's all you have to do, and and you'll fight. Uh, In fact, I I mean, if I just, those of you who are married, I ask you to come up here and just list 10 things that uh, annoy you about your spouse. How many of you could do that, right? Don't raise your hand. I'm just saying, like, you could do that. Marissa's like, like I, I could, she probably wouldn't even be warmed up at 10. Uh, but what I'm saying is, if you're going to fight for your marriage, though, you can't focus on your spouse. You have to do something a little bit differently. Uh, you've got to be willing to start with what's wrong with me. And that's a lot more difficult. It's a lot less popular. Yeah, and you know, no matter what baggage you bring into your marriage or maybe things that you witnessed um, before you, maybe in your parents' marriage, whatever that is, we believe that you can have a great marriage. And with God's help, you can learn to fight fair in your marriage. And so today we're going to look at two places in Scripture. The first place that we are going to look in is Song of Solomon. And then we're going to look at what uh, Paul has to say in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn with us to Song of Solomon, we're going to be in chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. But um, kind of what's going on, give you a little backstory. Song of Solomon, we witness a couple that is, um, they start dating in this book. It's really like the book of love in the Bible, right? So they start dating. We see their courtship. We see their engagement. We see their wedding. They have a crazy honeymoon that they describe to us, like even more awkward than what this guy does on a Sunday morning. And then we get to chapter 5. And we witness their first fight. And so that's where we are going to pick up. So chapter 5, verse 2, it says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Have you ever been so upset that you're like, oh, I just, I want to go to sleep, but I can't? That's where this bride is at. She says, listen, my beloved is knocking. He says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Her husband is at the door, and he wants something. He says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. She says to him, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? This is Hebrew for I have a headache. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. 
So this is what's happening. This husband has done something to irritate his wife. He has annoyed her. Maybe he just plain and simply went out, didn't call, and ticked her off. And she is like, you know what? I'm locking the bedroom door. I don't care how sweetly you talk to me. You are not getting in this room tonight. So he leaves. And first of all, I want to say you kind of made me blush when you were reading that. And second, at the epicenter of all of this conflict is one thing. And it's the same thing in any relationship, in your marriage relationship, in any relationship, and in your marriage. At the heart of conflict is one thing. And it's not about personality. It's not about personal preferences. At the heart of all conflict is this. It's unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. She had this expectation of him that he was going to come home at a certain time or maybe that he would call or however that was going to work out. And he had an expectation that once he got home, they were going to have some intense fellowship. And... And both of them had unmet expectations and how this played out, and it results in conflict. In fact, one verse I didn't include in our slides, but I want to share with you. You might want to write this down or take notes. It's found in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but you don't get it, and so you quarrel and you fight. At the heart of every conflict in your relationships and in your marriage is unmet expectations. And the reality is we come in to all of our relationships with certain expectations, and I think no place more than marriage do we come into it with expectations of how we think it's gonna go and how we think it should be. I mean, even you think about the wedding ceremony. I remember uh, in our wedding ceremony, Marissa was so nervous about how it was all gonna go down. I said, babe, it's, it's simple. All you gotta remember, you walk down the altar, or you walk down the aisle, I'm sorry. We stand at the altar. At the end, we sing a hymn, and it's done. Later on, I hear her mumbling under her breath, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I don't know, that's totally the wrong idea. We go into it thinking that we're going to change the other person, but that's not how it plays out. So I'm not altering? No, no. Okay. No, but in all seriousness, you both come into your marriage with expectations. Maybe the wife has expectations of how much and what kind of help you'll be. And, and the husband, he comes in, well, Ladies, we know the expectations that the husband's coming in with. Like I said, we all have some unmet expectations in our marriage, and that's when conflict can happen. And here's what I found about these unmet expectations in our own marriage, that if I have an unmet expectation, chances are I haven't clearly communicated my expectations to you. So we're fighting about something that I've never actually told you about. But when I take a minute to sit down and tell you, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking, you tell me what you're thinking, then we can be on the same page. How many of you have ever gotten into a big fight the, the night before or the morning that you're leaving on a, on a vacation together? Has that ever happened to you? You know, <clears throat> what? You expect it, it'll go a certain way. He expects it'll go another way. And by the time you get everything in the car and you get going down the road, like, neither one of you are talking to the other one, you know? 
like it's tense, the kids can feel it, they're not sure like if they should say anything or if we should just all ride in silence. Ever been in there? Ever been in that car where it's been awkward? And then your husband, I don't know if your husband's like mine, but he'll be like, hey, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm fine. And we all know that I'm fine is really I'm not fine, but I'm not going to tell you what's wrong because you just need to figure it out. That's kind, of, that's kind of how it goes. You know, it's a cycle of dysfunction that we get into where there's an unmet expectation that leads to disappointment that leads to conflict. And it's just like, it's like a circle. We just keep going around. Unmet expectation, disappointment, conflict. So we want to talk about how to deal with this today. And I recognize even in talking about this, some of you might think, well, you don't know my situation. Like, you're going to give me some stuff and you're giving me a Band-Aid and what I need is open heart surgery. I recognize that it might feel that way. But let me tell you about what we're actually giving you. We're giving you principles from the Word of God. And when you begin to apply these principles into your life, you can see situations begin to change. Uh, lots of times the reason you got into the situation you're in in the first place is because you didn't know about these principles. And so if you'll really approach this today with some ears to hear what God wants to say to you, I believe you'll hear the truth you need to begin to transform the situation that you're in. And I just want to say one thing about expectations too is that whether it's me or whether it's you, I can't meet an expectation that you never express. And sometimes we have expectations that go unmet in our relationship because they were never expressed. And don't hold somebody hostage because you've actually never expressed to them what you're expecting them to meet. All that being said, we set ourselves up for emotional failure in our relationships because we come into it with wrong expectations. I think there's a great example of this in the Old Testament. This guy named Naaman, I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but Naaman was a commander of the armies of Syria. You can read his story in 2 Kings chapter 5. And Naaman was well known. He, he was the man. He, he was sought after. He was getting it done in his career. But he had this issue. Uh, he was a leper. He also had this servant girl who was from Israel. And when you read this story, what you find out is this servant girl, she knew about Naaman's condition, and she told him, and if only you could see the prophet Elisha. If you could see the prophet Elisha, he could heal your condition. So Naaman, wanting to be free from this situation that he's in, this condition, he goes to see the prophet, and the prophet says that he can heal him. But when he says what he wants Naaman to do, Naaman gets offended. Naaman almost loses it. If you read in the story, he, he tells Naaman, he says, hey, go dip yourself in the River Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Well, that's not what Naaman expected. Naaman expected him to come out, say some words, wave his hand, say this prayer and heal him. He got offended all because he had an expectation of how this was supposed to go. And he almost missed out on God's plan for him he almost missed out on God's healing for him all because of an unmet expectation. You know, in thinking about uh, just relationships, lots of times, even in our marriage, when you're good at communicating something, you're still gonna miss the mark. You're still gonna fall short because we're all human. We, all, we talked about this last week, we all have gaps and even in our communication, you might say something and what gets heard and what gets interpreted is something completely 
different. We talked about last week, I kind of teased you with it, situation in our marriage, but um, there was this one point in our relationship, I wanted to get another tattoo and uh, Marissa felt like I'd had enough tattoos and so why even go get any more? And so we were talking about this and she said, okay, well, if you get another tattoo, just know this, I want a big diamond. And so I got her a big diamond for my other tattoo. I'm just saying it was a miscommunication. And sometimes you can express something. Can I just say, I didn't talk to him for like three days after that. And when he got his next tattoo, I didn't even look at that for like a week. So I'm just saying, we get into, we get into conflict because of unmet expectations or even when they're expressed, they're miscommunicated. And we gotta know, how can we have conflict in a healthy way? And if you wanna have conflict, in a healthy way, because again, conflict is unavoidable, but you get to decide whether you're gonna fight in your marriage or fight for your marriage. The first thing that you have to commit to is this. You gotta commit that we will respond, not react. Yeah, and this is so contrary to what most arguments look like, because most arguments look like this. You say something that offends me or hurts my feelings or or makes me mad, And so I escalate the situation by reacting to what you did. They punch, so we punch back. And we punch back harder. They cut with words, so we cut with words. They they cut deeper, so we cut deeper. And what started as something so small and insignificant, we have now escalated. We escalate it, escalate it, escalate it, because we are reacting, reacting, reacting. But I would propose that instead of reacting in conflict, what if we had a predetermined response to conflict? If you want to have healthy conflict in your relationship and not end up with wedges in your marriage and division in your marriage, you've got to determine before you even get into the conflict, this is how I will respond. Because we respond, we don't react. Some of us, we blow up. Your spouse pokes you, you verbally explode. You react. You react with anger. You react with verbal knives. But you need to make a decision in your heart before the conflict ever arises. And I know it's hard because everything within you feels gratification and justification that, you know, they cut you so you cut back at them. It feels good in the moment. But something within you has to go, you know what? I'm going to back up. I'm not going to act out. Maybe your predetermined response is, you know what? I'm going to breathe for 30 seconds. When my spouse says something to me that that makes me want to pull my hair out or or yell at him or stomp off in anger, I'm just going to take a minute and I'm going to breathe some slow, deep breaths. And I'm going to say, Jesus, help me to respond in love. Help me to be gentle. Because when you spit out words in the heat of a moment, you say things that you never want to say. And sure, you can, yeah. you can ask for forgiveness and you can pray for grace, but wouldn't it be easier to just not even have to do that? To not hurt your spouse? So how should we respond? Well, we're talking in the context of marriage, but I want to give you something that's going to apply to all of us in any relationship, whether you're talking parent-child, whether you're talking uh, whether, whether you're talking friends, whether you're talking brother, sister, coworker, boss, whatever it would be, 
uh, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, he gives us a checklist of some things that we can look at in our relationships. And remember, when we're talking about responding versus reacting, we're talking about the things we do and the things we decide before we get into that argument. So in Philippians, a little context on this verse, it's written to a church that was in constant conflict. It's kind of interesting because uh, the word Philippians, actually one, one of the meanings of it is warlike because this city was always under constant threat and attack. And so Paul's writing to this church. This church is at odds with one another. And he says, hey, I want to give you some instruction in your relationships. I want to give you some instruction because you guys are always fighting all the time. And this is what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, some of you, I can tell you're thinking that, looking at that and thinking, there's no way I can live that way. I mean, that's not realistic. Value others above yourselves. I've got to stand up for my rights. I've got to know my worth. I've got to, you know, get mine in this relationship. If I don't stick up for myself, then nobody's going to stick up for me. Look, I, I get all those things, but what he's saying is you have to take a different approach. You got you to take the approach that Christ took. And we could look at each one, but I want to just look at these first four things that he mentions. He mentions encouragement, comfort, tenderness, and compassion. Man, that's the exact opposite of the way most of us respond in our relationships. A lot of us respond with criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. We get into an argument, we talk about what's wrong with the other person. We get into a conflict, and we start being angry about how we've been treated. We get defensive about it. We give them the silent treatment. But Paul says, hey, before you even go there, before you get into that, let me give you four things that you can respond to, whether it's just your spouse or whether it's another relationship. Is there encouragement? Is there encouragement in your relationship? Do, do you speak well to them? Do you speak well about them? It's our job in marriage to be the chief cheerleader. It's our job in marriage to encourage our spouse to be all that God has called them to be. Well, you know, I'd encourage them if they'd ever do something good worth encouraging. No, that's not the way it works. We all need encouragement, especially, let me just say on behalf of the men, ladies, your man will become what you encourage him to be. Absolutely. He will become what you say about him. So you gotta find some, I mean, my wife is so good at this. Like, I'll be, you know, helping her carrying the groceries and she'll be like, babe, man, you're doing such a good job carrying those groceries. I saw that bicep bulging when you were carrying that in. And I'll be like, like, where do you want this gallon of milk? Would you like me to put this in the fridge? Is that what you want? Is there any, is there any comfort in your marriage? I have a question for you. When you walk in the room, does your spouse feel comfort or are they on edge? You recognize that's on you. Like that's 
what you bring to the relationship, what you add. Do, do you bring comfort? Is there tenderness? Is there compassion? You know, when there's problems in your marriage, and there's gonna be problems, you need to speak to your spouse about them with tenderness and compassion. And I should just make a side note, you need to speak to your spouse about the problem, yeah. not your mom, not your kids, not your friends at work, not the guys at work, not your girlfriends. You need to speak to your spouse about the problem. And when you talk to them about the problem, you need to talk to them about it with tenderness and compassion. Think about how Jesus works in our life. Scripture says that Jesus draws, him, draws us to himself, and it's his goodness, and it's his kindness, and it's his compassion that leads us to repentance. Now, if it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, how is that gonna work in your relationship, in your marriage, when Paul says, hey, you need to take on the same attitude that Christ took. If you start approaching them, even though they don't deserve it, even though they're not treating you right, with goodness, tenderness, compassion, encouragement, comfort, don't you think you're gonna to begin to see a change in that conflict? Yeah, so we need to respond, not react. And the second thing, if we want to have healthy conflict in our marriages and in our relationships is this. We will fix our focus. Yeah. In the middle of a conflict, you have a choice as to what you will focus on. And often when we are in a fight, we kind of get tunnel vision on the thing that we're fighting about. We're so focused on this one little thing that aggravates me that I can't see all the other great things that I love about you. But you have a choice as to what you focus on. You know what I mean? Like, why, why doesn't he take out the trash when I think he should and how I think he should? Why is it that the trash is always a hot button issue in marriage? You know what I mean? Like, it's garbage, okay? <laughs> or maybe you're gonna, maybe he's more of a, a, a saver than a spender and you would kind of like him to just, you know, let loose and have fun sometimes. But maybe instead of focusing on that, you could focus on the fact that one, he has a job and he works hard to provide for your family so that you have money to save. And because of his diligence, you have a healthy retirement in place. And so maybe you can't do things right now, but later you can do things. Why don't you focus on those facts? Instead of getting so laser focused on the one thing that bothers you and harp on that. Have you ever walked into your kitchen and forgot what you went into your kitchen for? Like, how is it possible that you can go from the couch to the kitchen and forget in 20 seconds what you were going to do, but when you get into a conflict, you can recall every detail from the past yeah. 20 years. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know where my keys are five minutes ago, but you start fighting on me, and I'm going to go back 15 years. Well, you remember when your mom came over that one time? It always goes back to the mother-in-law in arguments, doesn't it? You can't remember what you did, but you are ready in conflict to just load your gun. That's why I wore ammo today. I've got my gun loaded, and I'm ready to just fire off at you. But you can choose what you focus on. And when we, when we do that, we choose whether we want resolution or whether we want victory. Yeah. And most of us, when we're in a conflict, we want to win. Yeah. We want to put them in their place to show them that they're wrong, we're right. You know, you might think, well... If there was a better way to do it, then I would do it that way because I've already thought of the right way to do this. And your spouse is probably thinking, well, I know the right way to do this. And then you end up duking it out in conflict, and, and it's not to win, 
It's to win. It's not to resolve the issue, not to move forward together. You just want to prove that you're, you're right. But in a marriage, you are on the same team. And you can't, yeah. I can't win and he lose and we both win. That yeah. would be like my son's football team. The scoreboard says they lost, but they go into the locker room and Reese is like, man, I killed today. I played my best game ever. No, if the team lost, you all lost. So, so many couples fight in their marriage as a result of what they focus on. And here's what I want you to hear. I want you to get this, that when you focus on your rights, that's gonna cause you to fight in your marriage. But when you focus on your responsibilities, that's gonna cause you to fight for your marriage. It's this question of what are you focused on? Are you focused on your rights? Are you focused on your responsibilities? If I'm thinking about my rights and how I was wronged and what's mine in this relationship and how I should be treated, conflict is gonna be inevitable. But if I'm thinking about, okay, what's my responsibility? You know what? Regardless of what she said, I, I shouldn't have talked to her like that. Regardless of what she did, that doesn't mean, that doesn't give me freedom to act the way I did. Regardless of how this went down, that, that doesn't mean that I just get to go off and do whatever I wanna do. No, you, you have to focus on your responsibilities. And have you ever noticed like the closer you are to somebody, like the more they can hurt you? Like nobody can hurt you like someone that you love. Anybody else says something to us, it's like whatever, you know? Like somebody can, can flip us off or like, yeah, no big deal. But your wife just says, are you okay? You're like, why, how dare you ask me that? You know, cannot believe you. It's because nobody else can hurt you like someone that you love. And because we're so close, I'm well acquainted with your faults. I'm, all, I'm well acquainted with, with, the, with the things where you fall short. Here's what I wanna say. It takes two people to make a problem. It takes two people to make a problem. And so sometimes we're like, well, yeah, but 95% of the problem is her. Okay, I get it. But let's talk about your 5%. Yeah. Because it takes two people to make a problem. Let's not fight in marriage where your spouse is the enemy. I know some of you, okay, first rule of fighting is never ever bring Pastor Justin into it, all right? Because I know some of you are like, well, I bet Pastor Justin, just leave my name out of it, okay? Like, better question be, does Marissa ever talk to Pastor Justin? Yes, you better believe it, okay? You better believe it. I'm just saying, uh, don't bring my name up. But I'm not saying that every troubled marriage can be fixed because it does take two. If you've got somebody in there who's not willing to work on it, it, it takes two, I get that. But can I tell you, even if you're the one, man, if you would begin to pray, if you begin to engage God, there are things that you can do. You don't have to just disengage and say, well, they're not willing to work on it. In fact, if you're here today and there's issues in your relationship, how about you thank God and praise God that you're here? I mean, that's a, that, that's a win. That goes in the win column. We're striving to get better. We're trying to make this work. We might not have it all figured out, but we're taking some steps today. So if both people will work on their responsibilities with reasonable effort towards fixing attitudes, you can't always, you can't always fix everything, but you can fix your focus. Uh, it's amazing what can happen. And I wanna show you what Paul goes on to say in Philippians. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what it means when we say, till death do us part. We're supposed to take on the mindset of Jesus in our relationships. He wasn't focused on his rights. He wasn't focused on who he was and all that belonged to him. He was focused on his responsibilities. And he humbled himself even to the point of death. And this is the third thing we want to tell you. And probably the most important part. You gotta, you have to commit to, you're gonna respond and not react. You have to commit to fix your focus. But we also have to commit that we will stay in the struggle. Now, I'm not telling you to stay in struggle. I believe that God wants you to have a blessed marriage. But I'm telling you to commit to stay in the midst of the struggle. Because a lot of people don't stay in the struggle, they split in the struggle. Hey, when the going gets tough, I'm out of here. I know I said for better, for worse, but I only meant for better. I know I said in sickness and health, but I only meant health. I know I said for richer, for poor, but I only meant richer. They, they split in the struggle, but we gotta stay. Because if I don't have confidence that you're gonna stay, then any time that we get into a conflict, if I don't feel like I can really address the things that are close to my heart, because if I really say what I, what I wanna say, I think that you're gonna just hit the eject button and get out of here. You gotta commit to stay in the struggle. Yeah, see the whole nature of commitment is this. You make a commitment because you know at some point you may not feel like doing what you've committed to. That's why so many of us have gym memberships that we don't use. We committed to go to the gym and then we don't want to. But can I tell you that when there will be times when it is hard and you need to be reminded of the commitment that you made. There will be times where you feel like you and your spouse not only are not on the same page, but you are in different books. But you made a commitment. And I believe that it's God's word for some of you today is to just stay, to be willing to stay because you have some staying power and, when you have con and then you can have conflict in a healthy way. Because I know that no matter what I share with you, no matter what I say, we're going to work it out. You're not going to turn your back on me. We may have to stay up all night. We may have to go to counseling. We may need to bring in some outside help to help us with our issues, but we're going to stay. And some of you, you have to stop dangling out there in front of your spouse. Well, I'll just leave. I'll just walk. You'll never have a healthy marriage unless you say, I'm staying. And as a part of our wedding vows, one thing that we did, and we talked about this kind of at length before we even got married, but we committed one to another, I will not divorce you. Divorce is not an option for the Jenkins. Murder maybe sometimes, but divorce never. I, I want to say a couple things about that. We're talking about this generally now. I recognize, look, there's some situations. If you're in an abusive relationship, I would tell you to get out. 
because, and I'm not even telling you to divorce, I'm just saying you need to get out from that abuse because you can't work to build a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship when you're the victim and there's an abuser. But I'm saying in general here today, you need to commit to stay. And I've recognized there might be some of you here like, well, pastor, hey, this is great, but I've already blown it. I've already messed up. Like our marriage is hanging by a thread. Can I just tell you that even in that situation, you might feel like your marriage is dead. We serve a God who does resurrections. You might feel like there's no hope, but we serve a God who is full of hope and his mercies are new every morning. And so regardless of what the situation looks like currently, I believe that from this day forward, like we talked about last week, that there is hope for you. And some of you, the word of God for you today might be that after you leave here, or even in this moment right now, you grab your spouse's hand and you just say, I know you know this, but I'm not going anywhere. I think you know this, I, I, I want you to know this, but I'm committed to you, I'm committed to stay. If you try and leave me, I'm gonna follow you like a stalker. Like, I am, I am in this. We're, we're together. You think about the worst possible scenario. I've already gone there in my mind, and I'm committed that we can work through this. We're committed to each other. We're gonna stay.